Big change in interest rates over the last week. They're absolutely changing the multifamily market and the economy, but where is it going? Well, we've got a big meeting out in Jackson Hole this week. We're going to be talking about that today on The Great Report and a lot of other great pieces of research and data. Carbon List, Collier's, Freddie Mac, Financial Times. We're going to be looking at a clip from the All In podcast talking about multifamily. You're going to want to stick around for this entire episode. If you're a multifamily investor, you're active, passive, you're in the industry, this is the podcast and show designed for you to break down all of those reports, data, and information so you can make some incredibly well-informed decisions. Strap in. A lot of great reports. Let's do it. Welcome back to the report. Got the doctor here again. Hello, Dr. Matt Bosnoggle. <laughs> Never gets old. Never <laughs> ever gets old. Um, the doctor, what the, got your prognosis <laughs> for today? Yeah. Um, no, Matt. Welcome back again. Thank producing, you. It's good to be back. Co-hosting the Great Report every single week. Um, another great episode. Thanks. And got an exciting meeting at the end of this week. Um, Jerome Powell is going to be meeting um, up in Jackson Hole. Figuring out, you know, where the economy's going, what's going to happen with inflation, interest rates. Everyone is kind of on the edge of the, their seat. Um, if we remember from last year's Jackson Hole speech, just before everyone was getting excited for the Fed to talk about uh, lowering rates. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, we're going to see lower rates by the end of 2022. Yeah. How did that work? And how did that work out? <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't happen. Um, Matt, the 10-year treasury... Um, is is well over four percent. It's at its highest rate, or at least a couple of days ago, creeped over four point three percent. That's higher than it was. It's been over a decade. Yeah, ten year Treasury. It's what you know, all permanent or most permanent. Uh, you know, loans are in kind of index too. The higher the interest rate, the harder it is to buy something. Okay. It, I I have a big question about yeah. ten year Treasury. As opposed, you know, we mentioned the federal funds rate. I can understand that. It's just one guy or. 10 guys and gals. <laughs> yeah, FOMC. Yeah, yeah, it's just the FOMC by fiat making that decision whether rates are, are, are up or down. Now, the 10-year treasury is uh, is driven a little bit by uh, different forces, and it yeah. seems a little bit harder. It's a little more confusing. I'd like to know what your interpretation is. And and actually, we uh, we discussed this here yesterday um, with uh, with Griffin. What the What is the statement about the economy that some that is made by the 10-year going up? Versus a ten-year going down, you know it's a it's a great question, Matt. Um, you can see here the ten-year. I mean, since I mean, look look how it, it's been moving since uh, you know June uh, of twenty twenty when it was less than a half of a percent of moving up, and we've had moments of where we thought that we were you know, it was coming down, and mm -hmm. people had a little false sense of confidence that things were going to start easing out, but it can it trending you know up and up and up and um. So to your question, you know, what, what does the 10-year treasury tell us? You know, what, what is yeah. the determinative is, you're like, right. The what are the expectations about the economy that can be inferred by the rise, by this high, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 10-year treasury? Yeah. Well, first, so like we said, like, so the 10-year treasury is much more driven by market forces because there's buyers and sellers okay. that are more or less, you know, setting the price for these treasury bonds. And so there's, you know, there's two components to, you know, bonds. Um, and I'm not a bond expert, you know, you know, caveat, but you know, the, so price and yield. So <laughs> the higher that the higher the bond 
yields, yeah. the um, the 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 lower the, the lower the price. Okay. You know, um, or the price the yield goes up, price goes down. Mm-hmm. Price goes up, yield goes down. And it, it makes it makes sense because if there are a lot of buyers, it's driven by demand. If there's a lot of buyers, everybody's buying. You know, if someone is going to be willing to take a slightly lower coupon or lower yield. And so as, as more buyers continue to flood into that market, you know, the rate will go down and down and down. So people are paying more money for mm-hmm. those for those notes that are locking in that rate for 10 years if they hold to maturity. Now, on bonds, if the yield goes up, again, and price goes down mm-hmm. while you're holding, the value of that bond um, you know, also decreases unless you want to hold it all the way to maturity, 10-year bond, you know, waiting 10 years, get your money back, plus all the interest that you've earned. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking about, you know, where rates are going to go into the future, if you think rates are going to continue to rise, then you really don't want to buy a 10-year um, treasury if you're thinking about at it from like a total return standpoint, so investment standpoint. Uh, so I, I got maybe part of it, but so economic expectation, but also interest rate expectation. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly. And it's just someone, so like right now, Fed funds rates five and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, two-year treasuries are you know mid mid fives or so. You know, mid mid, mid fives is shorter duration. Mm-hmm. So right now, I could buy a you know a, again you can buy a three-month treasury bill that's yielding five percent, or I can buy a ten-year treasury that's yielding you know four and a quarter. Now, you might say that. So if you're like, well, I want to lock in four and a quarter for ten years, but I'm a big institution, and you know, I remember when treasuries were two percent. Sounds like a good plan. I want to lock yeah. that in for the next decade. But if you don't need to lock that rate in and you're just looking for some income for the next couple of years, there's a lot more attractive options. So everyone is flooding into these shorter term mm-hmm. um, bonds and less interest for the 10-year. And so that's continuing to move up and move up um, and move up, which um, you know, will, which flattens the yield curve, which is, you know, it, which is good um, because it's been so inverted, um, driven yeah. by the Fed funds rate, you know, as through fiat, you know, just being pushed up. Mm-hmm. And, but then the 10 year um, kind of just staying low because there's just not as many bids. Not okay. as many people are buying, you know, 10 year bonds. Um, and there's, you know, just, you know, general concern about, you know, the, the near term impacts um, to the economy itself. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, and so, so, the difference then between the two year and the ten year, and and I've heard this before, but I always <laughs> I always get confused. It, so people have more is it is it that they have more or less confidence in the near term? They have than less the... confidence in the the immediate term. Okay, okay, yeah, all right, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, because I don't know what's going to happen different. right now, but like, all right, so but maybe ten years from now, I'm going to make some. I will make a profit. You know, yeah, I yeah. may I'll, I'll make four and a quarter percent over the next ten years, but I'm gonna make, I'm going to make a pro, I'm going to make a profit. Okay, that's perfect. So yeah, next two years a little shaky. Yeah, because you know still, because people are staying. So the the risk on the short term bonds are is the reinvestment risk. So yeah, you clip five you know five percent some change for the next couple months or a year. Yeah, but let's say interest rates decline. Well, the value of that bond may have gone up because you, know, you locked in a high, you know, uh, coupon, and the coupons are less, and someone's willing to say, "I'll pay up to get that higher coupon." Mm-hmm. But then that, when you hit maturity again, months or a year later, what are you going to do with that money? Yeah, if 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 bonds are yielding lower, then you have to find a new place for that investment, and so that's the concern people, what investors are grappling with right now, um, who have all been moving into treasuries, 
is, you know, where, where do I sit on kind of that maturity curve? How long do I want to wait in weighing, um, when do I want to have access to that liquidity without having to, you know, potentially take a loss? Mm. Um, because if, you know, if rates go up, um, then, you know, those bonds will, will have lost value. Okay. Um, if they have a decently long maturity and mm -hmm. they're not willing to wait. Um, so it's, it, you know, the yield curve has been inverted now for quite some time, yeah. you know, which typically predicts, according to most economists in the past, you know, 10 or so recessions have all been predated by an inverted yield curve. Yeah. We have been in, inverted for quite some time. So this question of, you know, recession um, is still floating out there. And again, I feel like we're on a, we talk about this all the time, Matt, we're on like a three week, um, three week cycle of soft landing <laughs> to hard landing to crash landing or plane stays in the air. <laughs> yeah. Or to land, no landing. And we are in a period right in, the, the cycle that we're in right now is the more of the crash landing because yeah. people are seeing like, Hey, interest rates are supposed to go down. They're actually going up. Mm -hmm. And there's been some talk from members of the Federal Reserve um, saying, basically, we're going to have to keep rates high. Mm -hmm. But the big question that I think everyone's asking is, is this messaging, you know, Fed speak, psychology, which we talk about a lot of, it's not as much what they do as what they say, and what they say isn't necessarily what they're going to do. Yeah. Because if, if they indicated that, hey, things are looking great, we probably can lower rates. Like what would the what, what would the market what would the market do? Oh, they would those dummies in the market would go rush in to buy. Yeah, bye, they bye. do. They buy it because like if look, rates are going to go down, the discount rate's going to go down. That means you know uh, multiples are going to be able to go up, yep. and it's going to be a feeding frenzy. Everybody's ready to go because people have been on the sidelines. They're looking yep. for that sign. They're mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. rates are going down. Everyone would just jump right in. So they they don't want that to happen because that would ruin yep. the whole plan of yep. getting inflation down. Because that would be all that would be inflationary. Mm -hmm. They don't want the economy. They want the economy limping along, so that when they lower rates, they can't. They don't have the energy to rush to rush in to buy. Yeah, and and, and they're saying. And right now, I mean, there's people saying that look, the economy is getting by with higher rates. Yeah. What's wrong with a slightly higher rate environment? This is not abnormal, you know, according to history. Maybe this is where we're going to be. And so that's where these articles are coming out, Matt. And, and you highlighted one for the Financial Times. Um. You know, basically, you know, asking, um, well, this is the 10-year treasury, um, higher for longer rate debate to dominate Jackson Hole meeting. This is exactly what we we're talking about. And, you know, are we going to be in an era of just relatively higher inflation? Yep. It's going to require higher rates in the concept that, you know, if we're at 3% inflation right now, 3% CPI, mm -hmm. getting that last percent from 3% to 2% is going to be a chore. Yeah, that's a big thing. Oh yeah, totally. And we're going to, and they're going to have to wait. And, but then on the other side, it's like, well, maybe it's not going to be as long because now all of these rate hikes are finally, you know, seeping into the system. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, do we really need any more rate increases or can we just plateau here for a while and let it work its way through the system? We know we've got a lot of mat loan maturities coming due. This isn't helping that situation. Let's get through that. Yep. Um, now all of the, could also acknowledge that by lowering rates, they would help all of those borrowers that be, could be in potential dis distress. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe helping out CRE borrowers, Matt, is exactly in the Fed's mandate. Yeah. Well, they had that guidance that was, you know, kind of a, a token. That's to, true. That's but, true. Yeah. Some guidance to banks of like, hey, here's some, if you're going to work out some loans, you're probably going to have to work out some loans. Yeah. 
here's some things that we would recommend that you look at and the way you do it. Yeah, that's a small potatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's a small potatoes compared to the uh, material effects of higher rates. But but Matt, I, I could make an argument either way mm-hmm. um, on, yeah. you know, inflation for higher and rates higher for longer. Um, but, but what does it, it brings us back to this mm-hmm. debate we've been having for years of transient. I mean, we yeah. thought in 21, we're like, inflation's transient. But what 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 is what is the definition of you know transient? And I mean, I, I mean it's it's short, very yeah, you know, instant in time. And we're obviously beyond that. Yeah. But well, how long is it? Another year, years? Yeah, that's decade? what I, yeah, that's what I wrote to. You know, they say higher for longer. You Google that, you'll get a lot of uh, articles uh, about this week. <laughs> what is what is higher and what is longer? Well, does, yeah, exactly. does higher mean like longer? here? I am gonna say at least the way I understand it for me, longer is not that long. Two years. I, two years. I, you know, and this is just, you know, a, a reasonable, uh, a reasonable hot take is what if we do hang around high? Maybe it's maybe they cut it to four at some point, but we don't see appreciably lower rates until 2025. And, you know, and but even that, I think would be a big relief if we went yeah. from five and a half to four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that 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 would be a, I think that would be major news and a rate reduction. But it's like mm-hmm. is higher. I mean, it's like. Are we in higher, or does that mean that it's going to go from five and a half to six, or above the Fed funds rate, above I, six and longer? I mean, yeah, I acknowledge longer is probably more than six months. Mm-hmm. Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it is it a decade? There's re- undefined terms higher for longer, yeah. but it's not lower sooner. Yeah, I don't think it's lower just for the great uh, on the uh, you know out of the goodness of their heart. Um, yeah. It's the the alternative is like recession. Um, caused by higher interest rates, not necessarily. We we we're out of stagflation territory, um, but I think now the now the alternatives, and we've mentioned these more than a few times, is this idea that uh, the Fed's going to create the kind of a reset recession, <laughs> and maybe yeah. we're already headed that there because labor is a little, cooling a little bit, consumer spending is is cooling just slightly, and savings is in credit. So we're showing a little bit more fragility than we used to than we used to have but still roaring back and there's no you know another potential scenario is what if they lower it by half a point they see uh, they see a crazy reaction like all right we're not gonna try that again yeah and um but you know i i do think that underlying this idea for higher for longer is the is is it fundamental faith in the economy um they were there were many uh forecasts for recession in 2023 you know you talked about this uh yeah yeah the the two year ten year at this the the greater uncertainty in the near term and greater certainty in the in the long term with that you know that's perfectly been the case uh, for the past two years period yeah. um, you know there was a little bit more confidence maybe in the in twenty twenty one when things were roaring along but it's very uncertain for the past year yeah. um, where yeah. things are going yeah. and I like I think that this idea that interest rates could be either elevated or really reset like being able to plot that course. Just the predictability is the, I, I think it's one of the top, tops the list of pivotal, pivotal concerns for the community, for the commercial real estate industry, capital market specifically. Um, Collier's will we'll go over and talk, talks about the low multifamily volumes. We are about, you know, about near half of what we usually have and, and two, and two quarters of, of about half the volume as, uh, as usual. Even though uh, multifamily has been traded the most, it's the one that's that's gone down the most in terms of transaction volumes. Um, so this is a report from Collier's, their U.S. market snapshot um, posted after the second quarter of this year. Uh, Matt, one, one 
Just before we get into this report, one question that that I had for you, you know, relative to rates and inflation, something we've talked about a lot. We talked about um, the REM report that um, you published last week, two weeks ago, last week. And looking at how CPI is calculated Mm -hmm. with our rents, we know because CPI is is a lagging, very much lagging indicator. Yeah. Um, almost 12 years in the past. So we can kind of have an idea of like where, where it's going to go based on like where rents were moving, you know, uh, 13 months ago, like mm-hmm. one month, one month ahead. Totally. Where we're going to be. So we know in September, um, we should see a big drop off because that's when the rents really started cooling and starting to go negative in some markets at the, near the end of 2022. Yeah. We're going to have multiple months of CPI shelter declines. Oh Yeah. And shelters a third of um, CPI, so it's impactful, and it's been one, the one area that's really kind of buoyed um, CPI up. So once we, you know, because I'm think I'm just trying to think ahead a couple months from now, mm-hmm. we have multiple months in a row. We also have seasonal de- slowdowns as well. Just yeah. generally things things slow down, so we're gonna have multiple lower CPI prints unless something else happens that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll. we'll the you know market commentators out there you know the talking heads the economists who you know kind of change their tune every couple of weeks i yep. can't imagine you know I, will we be having higher for longer conversations when we see inflation get cut you know month after month after month after month yep. i wonder if that is in my sincere hope is uh is about consumer spending, consumer confidence, consumer saving, this kind of the health of the average everyday consumer. If that doesn't improve along with uh, uh, along with CPI, then there's something that's weird. <laughs> and uh, and I think that if the it consumer's doesn't... been doing, you know, surprisingly well. Yeah. Like yeah. there's the credit card debt's really bad right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, but, you know, employment so strong. Yeah. Relatively. And we're still spending money. Maybe we're putting it on credit cards. So maybe we're creating a larger problem, but generally yeah. the consumer is buying with confidence. It's not growing. The, the Yeah. There's the consumer confidence is not, is not growing leaps and bounds. Like it used to be. It tracks really, really uh, closely with inflation. Confi- it's interesting. The confidence is down, but the spending is still up. Like people are still spending yeah. money. And I think that that is, it, 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 it is really a, a really accurate reflection of um, of inflation, and as inflation goes down, I had a graph that I was I was sharing with um with Addison before, and you can see the intersection. All these major times when inflation went up, consumer spending was down. The only time, um, I mean, so consumer expectations were down. Now, the only time that in- consumer expectations went down dramatically that wasn't really a uh, reaction to uh, inflation yeah. was the Great Recession, the two thousand eight, um, and so it almost made like a new paradigm and this is my hot take that i was trying to explain to addison i decided not to post it so i'll say it here um but is like what if consumer expectations post financial crisis um just are a little lower than um than before and and it and it makes sense kind of from a psychological viewpoint there's a lot of people that that are still in their mind of like oh you know it's hard to get a job in this economy and yeah and uh you know they'll say that even even as labor force participation is is incredibly high in employment so all these numbers are high but there's this persistent feeling and it's hard to ignore and i think part of it is inflation yeah and um and you know that it's going to be a big factor but 
but I think that it, I think you, you might be right to a certain extent, like you take out all these factors of inflation, you take out housing, you know, energy, maybe that's so volatile. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, there. Because Russia keeps pumping and, yeah. and Saudi Arabia, but, um, but used cars are down and, and all of these, all of these individual things, except for wages are outpacing inflation just a little bit just a little bit wages are like 4.4 or something 4.5 maybe and inflation's four um and they the argument that i've read now it's none of in none of the articles this week but i just maybe it's i don't is wages are a little stickier a little slower too because you you pay more your rent goes up your or your uh, and then you go back to your boss and you yeah this last year and so you know you don't go back to the boss and talk about that that's not an arguing point it's like well i'm anticipating inflation is going to go up 30 percent next year so i need that for no, but, but 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 now it came but now it's whether it's next year or or this last year yeah. it, it's inflation is a is a decent excuse because everyone and, everyone acknowledges that it's yeah, a thing it makes well and it makes more sense to, to argue yeah, prices went up this past year. Can I get a raise? Then, like, I, I'm really expecting prices. No, sorry. So it's a very much past looking, I think. But that's where it can get scary. Yeah, is if we do start getting into like, okay, now I'm gonna every year I need to. Everyone is in the habit of I'm gonna ask for my larger raise yeah. because there's inflation, in it and I've noticed that you know groceries are more expensive or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, yeah, there's the spiral. Yeah, that's the wage price spiral, and there, it was a big talking point for um when inflation was huge yeah you know from, from the very even at the start of the pandemic when interest rates were so low we were talking about you know and we we kind of saw in the future a little bit uh even in, in like late 2020 when when things were starting to heat up and and you know you could look forward and see oh there's a wage could be a wage price spiral it never really happened well in not in an absolute deteriorating way i mean we have had Inflation longer than it was initially anticipated, yeah. and, and wages did have a played a role in that. Now it has it hasn't spiraled out of control. It seems yep. to be moving in lockstep. I don't know if the risk, and you know, after I just said, it, I think inflation is going to keep coming down. I mm-hmm. think that risk is still there. Yeah. It, it, I think it can get, it could get out of control. There mm-hmm. can be a handful of black swans or things that we just aren't seeing right now that does push inflation for even longer. Yeah, and there's a quote um, from a former Fed. Vice Chair Donald Cohn that really summarizes a lot of things in on the Collier's piece. Yeah, or I'm sorry, on the fi- Financial Times piece, and he said, "Oh yeah, the idea that interest rates could remain higher for longer follows in part from an expectation of con- continued um, economic." Oh, sorry, he says, "Sorry, now I'm summarizing." Uh, ballooning government deficits, increased spending on green energy investments, and heightened focus on domestic manufacturing, coupled with stronger than expected growth, have coalesced to tip the odds against a retreat to the ultra low interest rates of the post crisis. Period. Now that he was the uh, he was pretty much the post crisis uh, Fed vice chair. So that was definitely in his frame of mind. Um, I do think, you know, part of the argument, uh, part of the way that higher for longer is characterized is a different regime. It's a different cycle. It's a different world that we're living in than it was in the post, uh, you know, in 2008 till 2018. Yeah. So that just could be it is. um, And um. It's weird to say that rules don't apply, but um, there is a lot of a lot of uncertainty right now, and that's you know to be expected. I lo- I lo- I really like that graph, and I was yeah, thinking about yeah. that as you were discussing yeah. it, how all of these factors for inflation are going um, are going down. So energy used to be one of the bigger factors last yeah, year. Yeah, energy's gone negative. Gone negative. Uh, housing continues to be one of the strongest factors, and that is going to uh, that could be cut in half, if not more, 
due to rent um due to rent. yeah and and if energy you know still is in decline or at least at par then we could have a really low and and that's what i'm saying is is how long can the federal reserve and economists mm-hmm. and to politicians and market makers you know, still push for, you know, keeping rates higher. Yeah. If we see inflation, like what if we get, you know, if it's, we're at 2% sooner than we think, Yeah. you and, know, in Q1 yeah. of 24. No. It, and that's true. And that, but that, it's, maybe, uh, it's definitely possible. And, and I, problem. you know what, I think that I am being unfair to the people that made the bet that they, the people that are waiting and seeing, um, I, I keep thinking that there are so many the zombie buildings, zombie companies, these uh, these places that have that are getting on on, you know, expecting that rates are if we could just make it two more months, rates go down, then finally we can be in the black again and uh, and things can be OK. Uh, that's th- like I think that part of keeping rates high functions to kind of flush out these inefficient and bad bets. Um, but, you know, I there's no justice in the world. <laughs> No justice, no peace. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so I think that ultimately it will be, you know, it's it's kind of wage growth. And I, I'm, I wonder if they do have, you know, in the near future or sometime in 2024, have a test lowering and they'll just see what see what happens. Yeah. Um, would not surprise me. Yeah, quarter. Yeah, 25 bips would have would it really matter? I mean, and again, it, it's much more of like what they're projecting rather than like the actual actions 25 bips isn't sh- shouldn't matter that much yeah but it's just the idea that they felt confident they could make that move mm-hmm. what does that mean and and, and then re- and recently it. you know the kind of uh the fear and anxieties have been associated with higher for like people are oh maybe it could be higher for longer yeah i'm a little sadder but still i mean the stock market is still doing i mean we've had a little bit of a pullback yeah but i mean um again with the discount rates i mean Big tech is doing incredibly well True. this year and, you know, the stock market keeps pushing, you know, again, we've had some pullbacks recently, but, you know, doing relatively okay. Mm-hmm. Man, this Collier's report, multifamily. Yeah. Um, what are some of your takes? I mean, it, it's um, asset class, um, you know, right up there with industrial once again. Yeah. Volume still is, but. 11, 11.7% year over year price change. Do you think that that is, um that that's where we're going to land by the end of the year? Do you think that there's more room uh, to drop even further? Yeah, I, I think there is absolutely room to drop further, especially um, given the 10-year treasury rate. Um, yeah. Again, um, when this is from the second quarter of um, this of, of this year, um, at the end of the second quarter, and I mean, just look at where the, treasure, the 10-year treasury rate was, um, you know, in the second quarter, I mean, we were in the mid threes. Yeah. We're mid fours now. So yeah. people can't pay more. I mean, and I'm just looking at a portfolio I and mean, we've seen incredible, um, rank growth mm-hmm. across. This is anecdotal Midwest doing better than a lot of other regions. Our portfolio is like crushing it on, on like rent growth and, and revenue growth and our net operating incomes are increasing, but with expense pressure and, and we've like redone our budgets, we've like reduced expenses um, since the beginning of the year, but you know, we're, we're not seeing huge NLI growth. We're seeing, we're seeing steady, we're seeing like one, we're seeing flat to 4% NLI growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're seeing it, but we're seeing, you know, like 12% revenue growth. So it's like the expenses are just eating to our, yeah. our, our profit. There's a comment on, um, on a, 
uh, a recent YouTube video that that kind of alludes to that. We can that we can get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's a big that's a big point. Um, and and you know there, but when it comes to the capital market, I think there definitely is a reason why there is such low transactions. And if you look at the, uh, the at the graph here, there was no uh, no quarter since 2015, which is as far back as this uh, as this chart goes. Um, there's no quarter save for the beginning of the pandemic when transactions were as low which as is shocking before. because like in the pan the beginning of the pandemic like you you could not transact like it was a, it was illegal yeah because you you couldn't go on site like you you couldn't get an inspector to do your you know yeah. capex and your due diligence and go, go out for an appraisal you could so like the fact that we're you know even relative to those levels when like yeah. you can transact today but people don't want to and people yeah. didn't necessarily want to at the beginning of the pandemic either because everyone everyone was mm -hmm. waiting for commercial real estate to crash and COVID discounts. Yeah. And then, and then people were waiting for more COVID discounts. And all of a sudden, not only were there not COVID discounts, but there was a COVID premium mm -hmm. and things started going crazy. A lot of people got left behind. Yeah. Now, um, I, I think that the, that the cause of a huge cause of these lower transactions, well, obviously is higher rates themselves. It's going to make, you know, make it impossible to, uh, for business plans to work. Um, but also uncertainty. That's if there was... what I would say. I think that I think that's even more yeah. so because like someone might make sense of a price mm -hmm. if I know what the interest rate is, but we've we've had multiple experiences with this. But the idea that I mean specifically, I mean like in the now I have I have less more confidence on the Fed funds rate than um the ten year treasury. But yeah. so if you want to put long term fixed rate debt, it's gonna be based on the ten year treasury. Mm -hmm. Again, you're you're making your offer you know, three months before you're going to close, yeah. you know, two and a half months before you lock your interest rate. Um, so where is the 10 year treasury going to be in two months? And you may have made your assumptions, you know, yeah. three months prior, because you just started looking at the deal. So that's such a, you have to be so conservative on where like the 10 year could go, which makes you not be aggressive enough or, you know, competitive because mm -hmm. you're being so conservative and, and i and we were talking about this format we we're talking with the team earlier of knowing the balance between being um uh, with your assumptions conservative but not but, but realistic because mm -hmm. you can if you're too conservative you will never buy anything yeah yeah if you're like well we're going to know expenses are going to increase and mm -hmm. we're going to make less money and we're, occupancy is going to be you know, in the toilet. Well, yeah, the deal's going to look really bad. It's good to go through that exercise and see what breaks and do sensitivity analysis and all of yep. that. Um, but if you're like, your base case is so conservative, like you're, you're just not going to win a deal. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to be conservative and you have to take risks into it, into account. And so, you know, where, where, where is the, you know, the right assumptions where we can feel confident that we can do, we can push something. Yeah. Yeah. So we know we can do it um, versus, you know, what we're going to speculate on how much you're going to speculate on and yeah. what you're going to kind of pull back a little bit. And, you know, from a seller's perspective too, if they don't know, yeah. if they, if they, they don't know that, what they want to say, rates I mean, are going to go down or rates are going to go up, you know, in the next, or the big concern is, are you going to close? It's like, okay, yeah. you're, you're showing me a high price today, but are you basing it? Are you assuming that interest rates are going to go down? Because everyone has been saying, oh, interest yeah. rates will be, interest rates will be down. I mean, how many people have we heard the last couple of months are like, well, you know, interest rates should be down at that point. And yeah, correct. They need to be because otherwise the deal is not going to work. Yeah. And there is like, uh, like they note in the, uh, in the all in podcast there, you know, there's a number of 
of people that are hoping for interest rates to go down. There's a lot of maturities coming up. They they are hoping and in, in, in needing. Yeah. Um, I mean, almost eight eight billion just of CMBS in October, November, and just on multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, and there could be upward. I mean, there could be potentially. Um, Matt, just in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, uh, d- uh, well over $10 billion. I mean, it could be up to, I mean, there's a hundred, 121 billion multifamily was transacted in the fourth quarter of 21. Mm-hmm. Um, we know a lot of that was bridged debt. We don't know how, exactly how much. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot. I am confident it was more than 8 billion. I'm thinking it's tens of billions of dollars yeah, yeah. that are going to all mature in Q4 and what that happens to answer your question about the price declines. Mm-hmm. You know, you think we're all the way through it. Collier's has the price decreased about 11%. Uh, there's no way we're all the way through it because we haven't seen enough transaction activity. Yeah. It's just been like, there's, yeah, there's a deal done here. There's a deal done here, but something's got to have something either whether they're extensions, mm-hmm. which then you new appraisals and all that and go th- clear all these tests. Um, wonders can maybe accommodate, maybe they won't. Or keys are going to be handed back, tossed back. Yeah. We've heard from some institutional groups that this can be the challenge of investing within an institution. Like they've got such a large portfolio, they can hand a couple of deals back and it doesn't, they don't they care, but they don't really care. Yeah. There you go. You know, we did 100 deals. We're going to miss on a couple. Mm-hmm. And just here you go. We'll just focus on new deals. It's not going to affect us that much. Um, we'll, we'll still, we'll, we'll live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. A group like us, like we can't, the hand of the keys back isn't an, isn't an option. Like that, that's like, we're not going to be doing deals yeah. because everyone's gonna be like, these are the guys who lost a deal, mm-hmm. but there's going to be deals handed back and transactions. Something's going to have to happen. Like the, the loans are coming due. So they have to yeah. be sold, refinanced. We have to bring money to the table. We're going to hand it back to the bank. And we're just talking about, well, people are going to be throwing keys to the bank. We are hoping that the bank just starts throwing the keys back out to whoever is still in the market and wasn't in that bad position. Yep. I think that uh, it, it, what is interesting too is is this is such like a capital markets issue because the fundamentals are are pretty pretty dang so, strong. Here, let, let's listen to this clip from um, this is from the All In podcast um, recently. Um, you know, uh, David Sachs is you know big um, VC investor talking about commercial real estate, and he owns commercial real estate. And but this is specifically talking about multifamily. Let, let's just hear what. Um, I had the same map because it's right exactly what we've been talking about. And this is a much wider audience, which we always find interesting. Yeah. I think the really interesting thing about commercial real estate right now is multifamily. Until now, the conversation has all been about office space. And we know that office space is impaired because of the high vacancy rates that this the sector just hasn't come back the same way from home. since yeah. COVID. Right, exactly. But now we're starting to see real distress in the multifamily sector. Now, why has this happened? Because multifamily is full. There's no vacancy problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, it's hard to get a home and yeah. more people would be renting if mortgages right. are high. So the explain why. The that, demand yeah. side, the problem is in the capital stack. So let me describe uh-huh. the, the problem of what's happened here is let's say that you are a uh, real estate developer who bought multifamily. You bought it at a certain price level. Let's say you financed it two thirds with debt. You now need to go out and refinance that project because let's say you did a value add. Let's say you you basically did some improvements to it. That means you didn't put long-term debt on it. Sounds you can't familiar. put long-term debt yeah. on a project yeah. that's not stabilized yet. If you want to do value add work to it, you get what's called a construction loan for two or three years. Loan. Same thing. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of real estate developers who need to go out right now and finance these projects that they bought 
and they bought these projects at the top of the market. So let's say you're going out now to refinance. First of all, the rates are much higher. You're looking at paying eight or 9% instead of the three to 4% that you had penciled in your model a couple of years ago. Moreover, there's another problem, which is potentially even worse, which is loan to value. You yeah. had it's not potentially basically about two thirds yeah, loan worse. to value a couple of years yeah. ago, but values were much higher. Now values are lower because again, multiples have shrunk or as interest rates expanded. have gone up. Same thing. And so the amount that you can finance is much lower. So you either have to top that off by coming out of pocket with your own equity, or you have to go to one of these mezzanine funds. So now and there's these mezz funds, yeah. they are total sharks, and they're going to charge you not 8 or 9%, but like 15%. So your capital stack has basically is completely upside down. You thought that you could borrow all this money really cheaply, but now it is super expensive. And this project no longer pencils. There Meaning, you go. You're underwater from a, you got negative leverage on the project. And so I think you're going to see, again, not just impaired office space, now impaired multifamily. And there is not, I think, a sector of real estate developer who is not in distress right now if they need financing in the next year or two. That's what do you, you get? What do you, you get? Oh, they jumped in really. Oh, quickly. yeah. They're like, oh, man. They're like, oh, we also saw Great Capital's um, report on loan maturities and potential distress in yeah. the multifamily market, which you can find at greatcapitallc.com. Yeah. Matt, it, it is it's sleeping through the ether and then the run reports right there as well. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. I mean, we're updating it too. So look look forward for that. Yeah. There's a whole yeah, new yeah. update. Um, so, so I mean, they're, again, these guys aren't real estate guys. They're VC tech investors. You know, some of them do invest in real estate. I think David Sachs clearly does. He was talking about an office property that he has that he's essentially said like the, the refinance, he got terms, but they are horrible. He's told yep. they're actually really good right now. He's yep. like, I'm just going to pay off the loan. See, so in cash, we yeah, finance yeah. a couple of years. And some, and that's what I was talking to you before is like, well, you know, the, these people that are right now that are buying, um, what are their expectations? I was like, well, either they have really a lot better that, you know, we were talking about conservative expectations mm -hmm. or either they have less conservative expectations or, or maybe they just are buying it flat out. I mean, or figuring out a way to finance. It doesn't involve getting a loan. Um, I, I think that ultimately, though, when we come, when we're talking about the loan maturities and, you know, this the credit tightening, which is happening, um, the upshot to all of it may not be, hey, this individual finds a deal here or th that like there's an amazing deal. I wonder if it and what I'm kind of hoping is that it does have an effect on price discovery and helps to kind of set a new price yeah. so that the market can start moving now. Because with low transactions, that that it does seem like something's wrong. And um and it ain't just yeah. uh, it doesn't work. Yeah. It just there's not the bid ask spread as we've been talking about the last year. And I, I do hope that yeah, the increased volume allows for some actual price setting and price discovery to take place. Um, it, 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 we need we need that we need that to yeah. happen. And I, I my hope is and we talk about this week, the move in the 10 year mm -hmm. and talk of the Fed funds rate staying where it is, higher for a lot all this talk. It, my hope is that the kind of the deals that are out there right now, these are the last set of deals where the sellers were like believe that Rates are going to be lower and they're going to be able to get a good, good deal. Yeah. And everyone that was hoping like, well, maybe we'll be able to refinance because rates are going to be lower. We have to, we have mm -hmm. to refinance in Q4. Let's see where rates are going. Now they're seeing all of this and they're like, it's not, ha it's not happening. Yeah. It's yeah. not happening in time, mm -hmm. um, which is exactly what you outlined on the loan maturities report. Man. Yeah. And, and like, 
I I think that it, it is funny because there is this gap because the long term, you go back to the two year tenure, long term prospects even for uh for apartments are great. Fundamentals are great. And and you know, we're not scared. We're talking about how much we want apartments to be cheaper while you know, while the company that we work at while we own these apartments. So that would mean that our our apartments are going to be lower in value too. But I'm not worried not because the fundamentals are good. The fundamentals are good, and the way we finance them, we don't. Yeah, we're not selling next year. Mm-hmm. And we exactly you said in five, ten years from now, probably they're they're going to be worth like a hell of a lot more. Yeah, six months from now, I don't know. Like I, I, like I really don't know. A year from yeah. now, I don't know. Two years it should be out, but but I'm not sure. Five, ten, I have a much more confidence just looking at the mm-hmm. long term kind of fundamentals things even themselves out. Yeah. Um. But again, if you were waiting for something that needed to have this year, you're in a bad spot. I mean, Matt, we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Um, our refinance. Of oh yeah. Property property that we have down in Bloomington. Missed. <laughs> um, and. We, we we were able to get a cash out, I and mean, we were able to get some money, which is like very rare. It's because we were we crushed our business plan, we renovated these units, we decreased expenses, and we're getting like twenty three percent organic like um, uh, renewals right now. Like really, mm-hmm. just really really strong growth. It's a great asset. We were barely able to squeeze out a cash out, positive cash out. Mm-hmm. We thought we were just going to get the new, neutral. We had to talk to five different lenders to even get ca- any sort of like decent terms. We had lost our rate lock because we weren't able to refinance we would be in such a bad spot. Like yeah. same property, mm-hmm. same location, same stellar performance, but it would have been the difference between us being able to put some cash into yep. our account to do some other stuff mm-hmm. or us having to come up and write a big check just to hold on to the deal, just to keep yep. the keys. We were going to, again, we were in a good position. We were going to only have to write, you know, maybe half a million million dollar check mm-hmm. which would have crushed hurt our returns not it would not yeah. have been good but like it, it, we would have been able to survive and we were you know we were uh our business plan for it wasn't flip it in a couple of years but no yeah it's always our, been a long term but when it was you know when around when we bought that and was the time when people were thinking about well just flip this in two years mm-hmm. they didn't and and these two-year flips are now coming by and uh I did, maybe they're flops. Maybe they're gonna flip it. It's again risk equals return. Get rich quick. Flip it around. Again, you can make a lot of money doing that. People have been doing it the last decade. Made a lot of money. We sold some deals sooner, not necessarily because we planned to, just as we had an opportunity to. Yeah. But it, it's why we've been saying for the last many years before COVID, mm-hmm. it, in an era where you could have, you could do eighteen month turnaround flips and cycle in and out, and you know you get a big pop, and it, it, you know stack a lot of chips pretty quickly but i'm like i know i knew then that i'm like it's very easy to just connect the dots to say yeah. your back could be against the wall mm-hmm. musical you know there's musical chairs it's all good it's all good until the music stops and there's, you know, there's not a chair for you yeah and i just never wanted to put myself or our investors in those situations and realizing that if you have the time and if the project's financed and capitalized properly if if you're a decent operator you can weather most storms if you buy decently well mm-hmm. and if and if you can increase fit the value through you know some increasing um, your net operating income increase revenue decreasing expenses you can really put a lot of buffer you know yeah. it, to protect, insulate yourself our portfolio is very well insulated like david sachs was saying he's like every real estate developer you know you know is in trouble right now mm-hmm. or is worried 
And I heard that and I'm like, well, he's talking about real estate developers in a general sense of like large groups invest in real estate. Yeah. Um, we're not in trouble. And I don't know, it made, it made me feel really good yeah. about some of the decisions that we've made that we're not in these positions, mm-hmm. not that we do everything right all the time. But I do think, I don't know, I feel a little bit um, vindicated from like the years when people were making a lot more money doing shorter term, riskier strategies. Yeah. But uh, but, um, but I was, because I remember like looking at presentations, people going over deals and I was like, man, you know, they're using these floating rate. Man, they're like credit that again, all that rent growth. Like, wow, they're performing. I was like, they're crushing these big IRRs. It's really attractive. I know we just spin around really quickly. And I'm like, well, I know why. I was like, we could do that, but we could get stuck. Yeah. I mean, it's not worth it. Yeah. I I remember yeah, I, I've been thinking about this week about the difficulties just of operating uh multifamily, how many moving pieces there are, and how, you know, some people they liked doing the office because they don't have to deal with as many ten, as many residents, tenants and toilets. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it, it's not just like the labor that goes into it. It is, it, it is. Um, I don't think people have any idea what like goes on with these properties. Yeah, like yeah. Most investors, and, and you know, so we we've been doing our own property management now for a little over a year. Um, and I've always been involved as much as I could, but like. You're, you're never as involved as when you're truly doing it day mm-hmm. in and day out. And you know, we've got a whole property management team on the, on the great residential side, but from experiencing, you know, um, third part, third party property management versus doing it ourselves, You know, the, the reason why people do third parties, they don't have to deal with it. You know, you have yep. to have back offices, accounting, you, you have to, it's a whole other, it's, it's a, it's a whole other business, yep. you know, the actual operating business versus, you know, look at the spreadsheets and like, this is good. Let's move this up and down. This is exactly what our comment, uh, what this comment on YouTube is. And oh. if we can use this as a response, then that would be perfect. Wonderful. What was the comment? Um, it was, it was kind of, uh, talking about with, we, with a crunch to expenses, you know, with things getting, with margins getting maybe a little bit thinner, do you go into in-house management? And property management, you know, the the best ways to really efficiently control your expenses in this environment. I mean, you have to be on, be on top of it. I mean, there's so much waste um, that can occur at a property. Um, mm-hmm. Not always just from, oh, we, we spent too much money on this um, or we got a bad bid on that. But it's like, you know, what is, how is time um, being used. Yeah. Um, where are we using our time efficiently? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, I mean, well, and I, you know, think about, you can think about multifamily on if, if there's a consumer spectrum of how much labor is involved in the upkeep of an asset, you know, there's a, there's multifamily, then there is, you know, assisted living and there. Yeah. And they're, they're all similar, but I mean, they're, they're true operating businesses, yeah. you know, yeah. um, where, a like a triple net lease or like an office building like Warren Buffett just you, made a you're just bet. um you're just leasing you're just leasing the space out you know yep. and you're make, they've got their stuff they're self-contained mm-hmm. they're a business so you've got usually they're semi-professional you know it's, it's just business yeah it's not this is where my kids are living this is where our you know I just had a baby and I'm and I'm here this mm-hmm. is they're bringing their whole whatever. life there yeah, and you are in life. contact with them and there are so many you know the minutia of issues that come up that you that you may need to deal with uh it it it's constantly changing too and and it's just it's just worth remembering how much work goes into 
um, operating something. It's not just, you know, they will submit the, uh, they'll, they'll give you their rent. They will pay all the fees. You know, there's lots of things. There's lots of things there. Into, I mean, yeah. and it, it's not just, I mean, uh, there's a lot of turnover in the industry, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, a lot of the positions are relatively entry level. No one typically, um, in high school is like, I'm going to grow up to be a lease consultant or a apartment property manager or a maintenance technician or multifamily. No one even knows are, those are things, mm -hmm. I mean, or, or, or options. Yeah. Um, very few. I mean, I don't think there's like really anyone in this like room that in high school is like, I'm going to be working in real estate for yeah. youth, especially like I'll be working, you know, in real estate, private equity, buying multifamily, but you, mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't, yeah, you don't think it might, you don't even know that again, you don't, you know, apartments exist and mm -hmm. maybe those people make money that are buying them. Like that was my opinion. I was like, yeah. I was like, this apartment seemed like it's a good business. I don't know though. Yeah. That was my impression, you know, in high school. Um, but so the staffing, it, it, it's a challenge. I mean, no one, again, like you're typically, you're when you're doing maintenance, I mean, there's typically other jobs that'll pay you more that are mm -hmm. simpler. Yeah. So you have to find like the right person that wants to do a little bit of everything mm -hmm. that's like decent enough that doesn't yeah. want to jump ship and go sell HVAC systems. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, you're dealing with real life. When you have thousands of units, mm -hmm. thousands, even more people, more than one person per unit, um, you deaths. So, I mean, we, we've had, we had a suicide recently. Yeah. Um, murders oh i remember you know i just talk shootings talking to katrina <laughs> uh <laughs> it's not that you know yes there is a risk you know it does that but you see you there are enough you, you, there are enough you, you see enough residents and it is and and these things do happen and there's was talking to K katrina yesterday and and or, katrina's or, the you, director or, of property management yeah yeah and she was saying you know it kind of does take a special breed um, oh, to yeah. be able to to succeed and to be able to you know kind of deal with residents in the right way, know when to know when to uh, get involved and when to not get involved. Um, I I know that she was talking before this was before yesterday about you know don't do don't do wellness checks, you know let the police do that um, because there's there's so much there's so much risk that you can run into. Um, you know let's say you're trying to get people to throw trash into the trash can, do you sit there at night? Uh, cause no, that's really, that's really scary. It could be scary. Well, who's, uh, who's, who are you asking to sit overnight? To? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, your staff that's been there all day, you know, so it's like, you know, it, it's though you're pushing people too much. And, um, and, and so that's, you know, the, I think one of the comments, you know, that we've had recently is about, you know, like, how do we make things more efficient? And when you stay on top of it and mm -hmm. when something we talk about a lot here is just, you know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, but at the same time, there's so much opportunity to do better and not operate the way that people have just been doing it for the last couple of yeah. decades. And I think that gets to the YouTube comment a little. And, you know, he asked, he, uh, this commenter said, you know, been seeing a lot of um, a, a lot of multifamily property owners centralized leasing, automate as much as possible before bringing management in-house to offset rising interest rates in, in an effect in an effort to maintain IR and NOI. Um, it, it does seem like that's kind of what we did. Um, I think that there are things that, you know, you need to be in person. I, I remember we, you know, there were discussions about, about like leasing and centralized leasing. I, I don't, yeah. I, I yeah, don't know where you're, where you're at on that. Oh, I, I, I'd love to talk about it. I mean, it's, you know, you have to break down, like, again, this is separating what has just been done versus like, mm -hmm. what is a better way to do it? And like, what are the, like the tasks that need to be done on site? versus the tasks need to be done 
And, you know, where do you have to have people like physically? Because a lot mm -hmm. of leasing is done remotely. I mean, people are signing applications online. Yeah. They're scheduling things online. Um, you know, the follow up. So, so it's like, do you need a person, a follow, you know, a lead? So let's talk about leasing consultants like first. So mm -hmm. like, you know, what their job is to, you know, manage prospects coming in, um, you know, get applications signed, get them approved, do tours, do follow up. Um, a lot of that stuff. Like other other than the tour, mm -hmm. the in person tour, it all a lot of it can be done remotely. Yeah, whether it's home or from a centralized facility, and a lot of times, you know, leasing consultants are relatively entry level positions. They're sales positions. Yeah, the training going in isn't great. Now, so it's like it's it's on product management company to give them that training. Mm -hmm. These are sales positions. You're selling essentially, you know, a uh, fifth, you know, a twelve thousand to two twenty thousand dollar product. Yeah, as in you know, twelve months of rent. Mm -hmm. You know, you're they're basically buying a car, but we don't have the sale type of sales training like yeah. like like yeah. car salesman. You, you don't want to be overly salesy, mm -hmm. but there's a more much more order taking than selling and follow up. Yeah, I mean, anyone that's done any sales training or lowered sales follow-up is the hardest part yeah. and it's the what makes the most difference mm -hmm. so if you don't have that like hardcore training of like doing the follow so what, what i'm getting what, at they weren't interested why would i call them yeah it was what getting, <laughs> so let's say you have 10 properties but, yeah. and let's say you've got a mix of skill level of that of that the leasing person mm -hmm. maybe some people are good at the tour and not the follow-up you're kind of rolling the dice on like someone's walking into that property and it's like i hope that leasing consultant is going to be doing the follow-up and the tour well yeah. and all of that whereas why don't we get one person or team of people, however mm -hmm. you need, that are going to handle all of you know the as much as they their bandwidth allows. The communication, the mm -hmm. follow up. Yeah, all you're doing is follow up. All you're doing is taking inbound. All you're doing is answering questions over the phone or an email and, and, and text. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be on site. You have all the information about the property. You know how, if you have the information to answer the answer questions. Yeah, you can schedule a tour. But then, like, you don't necessarily need, like, the leasing consultant sitting around all the time. Yeah. Picking up a whole salary because, like, all the follow-up is take yeah. one person can do that follow-up and that inbound or a leasing on multiple properties. Yeah. Or a leasing consultant can do, yeah, can have it, their job goes a little bit down. They, well, they'll, or all of a sudden, that leasing consultant can now focus on customer service. Yeah. And serving residents. Because um, there is a little bit of a gear can, shift when yeah. it comes to, like, the person-to-person, -person, then all the kind of paperwork that you have to do afterwards and to separate those, maybe, yeah. But generally, it's like, you know, what can we do with how do we deliver the same or better service mm -hmm. with fewer people? Because the, yeah. the people are, you know, that that's usually where like the weak um, points in the chain are mm -hmm. is, is the one individual. The only thing I've seen turn a property's performance around, like I like can pinpoint, mm -hmm. is not someone from leadership saying, let's swap this script around or let's paint that wall. It's, it's bringing in a new manager. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's leadership, and maybe it's a leasing consultant. But it's usually, it's like you, you bring in a new manager. Yeah, that's the one thing you want to think turn things around. Mm -hmm. I, I I've seen people just spin their wheels. Well, and trying to figure it out, and then they're like, that you you don't want to let somebody go because mm -hmm. it's a person's livelihood. Yeah. Um, but everyone else's livelihood, the residents, mm -hmm. and, and this is where people are like, oh, let's give them another chance. Let's give them another chance. If they're not serving our residents, mm -hmm. if we're not delivering them the right service, and it's and it can be serious. We're talking about you know potentially you know health, safety, 
and safety of these people's homes. Mm -hmm. It's not a, you know, an, there's not like elective things. This is like, yeah, my water's not working. My, you know, my, my, my home isn't working. If we're not delivering that level of service, mm -hmm. uh, do I have the responsibility to just this manager? Or yeah. do I have a responsibility yeah. to the res or the residents, the investors, and the rest of the staff and the rest of the company? Well, if you're talking about staffing too, I think also you have to meet people at the right time. Um, one person, you know, five years from now may, might be a great property manager, but at this point at their, in their career, their life, whatever. Sure. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, right well, and that's what we've seen a lot is just people who are don't have their true experience getting moved up too quickly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people want to move up very quickly. And it's like, but you just don't have the experience. And that, that can be challenging because you want to develop talent over time. Yeah. But then, you know, the market's so competitive, they get another offer, they go somewhere else. And so whatever we can do to retain folks as, as best and we can. Ultimately, this is going to be a, a vast overgeneralization, which is my favorite kind, um, is, you know, it's, it's spinning plates. There's a lot of plates, a lot more plates to spin if you're doing, oh uh, if you're doing multifamily than you're doing office. So many people doing so many different things. And you know what? Um, it, it is my, as little management experience as I have, if you're not keeping them spinning, if you're not reminding people that you're there, and if you're not, you know, inserting that kind of accountability, then people are naturally going to like do it a little less, a little less, a little less, a little less. Um, it, it, it's just a kind of human nature. It's not their fault. It's not, you know, um, yeah. yeah, you look for the plates that'll spin the longest. Uh, but yeah, you have to be a little bit of an attentive per person. Can you check well, up on well, that, and, and, that, and so that's where the push is to look at, you know, automate automation, centralization mm -hmm. of right now we've got people that are like need, needing to watch the plates and keep them spinning. Yeah. We're like, well, what if we had a robot that could do that? Just like all they did was that. Yeah. Yeah. Why allow, you know, if again, if the weak links are humans, mm -hmm. how do we remove the humans if. As long as we can deliver the same or better service. Yeah, I'm not looking for phone trees, but there's probably ways no. to make it things quicker that make it to improve the yeah exactly improve the experience for residents at the same time as saving labor. It's not a better experience if you're not getting a follow up. Yeah, if you're not getting a follow up, the experience isn't good. Yeah, and so but if it's an automated follow up or an AI follow up, that's better than no follow up. And yeah. then yeah. and then the key point though, which is a lot of people will miss, is where the human gets inserted mm -hmm. because there will people who. Um, will need or want a human at some point. And if they don't have access to that human, that's when it gets very frustrated and it breaks down and, yeah. and all of a sudden it's not as as good. Yeah, that's a, a, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, just in general for as, as AI develops and, yeah. all, and all this stuff is there is, you know, the humans do have a place. You could waste a lot of money on doing AI in the wrong place and or it, having that human in the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, do, do the alternative. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 100 percent. Yeah. The AI or the human could be in the right or wrong place that could really mess up the system. So yeah. effort, I think, you know, it's not just real estate, obviously, it's not multifamily. It's every industry is relooking at their systems and their chains and their stacks to say, what's the right order? At well, the right time, what's efficient? You know, I, I was thinking there is that company now that's like, you sick of the phone treats? Get a real person. I forget what, yeah, what the company, you know, it's not always the same answer. Things are going to be different. There are, there, yeah, there, we may realize. Well, some things can be, it may not, maybe it's not automated, but it's yeah. just delegated or outsourced yeah. of, okay, so the, can a call center in like the Philippines? That's or, what I thought that he somewhere was, do, you know, be, when be he was, very effective. Yeah. When he was talking about centralizing leasing, that's what I was, that's what I thought maybe is, are, and I think you may have mentioned there's, you know, professional companies or, or that will manage all of the leasing that you do. And, 
And I, I wonder if you're moving to, if you're too centralized, are you not paying enough attention to the individual sites and well again i think it's, it's like. what what are what are you centralizing and yeah. the two categories i've talked about the most are leasing and in maintenance okay um because people are usually are still saying like, you need a manager you know maybe that's multi-site manager but like one manager mm-hmm. um and you're typically you're gonna probably want at least one per- maintenance person that is there maybe they're the supervisor but this idea of Again, like, you know, okay, you've got a maintenance team, maybe it's a supervisor and two techs or a supervisor and a tech or two techs or whatever it is. Like their whole day, you know, who's managing them? Then that the, there's always like not always not always a riff, but you know, there's like kind of maintenance world and then there's like leasing office world. Yeah. And typically that property totally. manager is like the manager also of the maintenance supervisor and the maintenance team. But there's this, you know, idea that like the the maintenance world has often, not always Mm -hmm. often of like, what do you know about maintenance? You're in the office. You don't know anything about swap, you know, replacing toilets and doing Mm -hmm. siding. Like, I'm going to tell you what what, what we need. And I don't, and I don't respect your opinion on this stuff. So you can see how there can be some, you know, immediate conflict there. Totally. Um, And so you have problems with the managers having a hard time uh, managing the maintenance team Mm -hmm. because they don't really know what to do. And- so there's obviously a lot of controls and there's training that, that goes into that. On the maintenance side, we talked about centralized leasing. You know, it's like, what, what are you guys doing? Sometimes it's like, what are you guys doing all day? You know, okay, we have X amount of work orders yeah. done. We have X amount of turns to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we break out the day, you know, we're really, there's there's a lot of inefficiencies. It's a mm-hmm. lot of like moving around. There's a lot of, we see a lot of, and again, we, we fix a lot of stuff or making plans of productive procrastination of like, yeah, we're, we're doing work, but it's mm-hmm. like not the work that needs to be done. And it's the yeah. easy work yeah. of like, ah, I know how to do that. And the jobs that are, are a little bit harder, we're, just, you're, we're calling a contractor. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 we could take the time to do that. Or you can make a call to your re- regional supervisor or director. Yeah. Hey, how do I, how do I do this? And so we're avoiding some of the, some things mm-hmm. we're staying busy, but we end up wasting a lot of time. That's so, I mean, it just makes me think of how much information you need to be able to communicate, how much, you know, and filter out, like, you you don't, you can't expect a property manager to know everything about maintenance, but they should know enough and, and uh, yeah. enough to have that authority. And, um, it, and, yeah, and that's, that's where you have to have the right support systems yeah. and you have to have the, you know, your corporate leadership and maintenance mm-hmm. that can kind of give that knowledge and use the, and the managers can use them as support. Yeah. Um, that's why I was thinking, say, thank goodness island. for Joe. Thank goodness for <laughs> Joe. Um, but you know, so all this stuff, all this, like what I've just been talking about. Yeah. If you use third party management, you don't even know it exists. Yeah. You just, you're just like, okay, well, uh, my expenses are a little bit up. Okay. And, you know, payroll's here and okay, you know, our net operating income, even if you want to get in the details, it's hard unless you really are just spending all your time there. Then it's like, might as well be managing yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, the one, one of the main reasons why we brought property management in house is because we wanted to remove the, the, the barriers to communication. We needed to know in real time what was going on with these assets. If we truly wanted to maximize um, return. And it started with construction because we just knew a lot of our third party um, PM teams just weren't great at managing CapEx projects. They, not that they couldn't do it, just they weren't, that wasn't their thing. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they're like, it's better if you guys did it. So we, you know, we built a construction team and then, and then it just same thing with 
the actual property management. It's like, we yeah. don't, you don't know until you're in there and doing it. And, you know, there's days where it's like, oh man, is this worth it? Like, is it like, this is crazy. This is so much work. There's so many moving pieces. There's so many plates spinning. Mm-hmm. But we are, are these, if we weren't managing like some of these assets, yeah. Matt, ourselves, we, we wouldn't have been able to make decisions quick enough. Yeah. Um, and we wouldn't have been able to pivot in some cases, especially with inflation. Yeah. And we would have been in very different positions if we weren't, didn't have our hands like firmly on the wheel. Yeah. And it's not really me. It's like the team, it's the team. Mm-hmm. It's, we've, we've got a great team. Now it's taken a lot of work to build and get, and get here, but it's, it's, it's been a struggle and it's getting a lot better. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, yeah. Coming back to kind of the inf- information that you're getting from being involved in having in-house property management. Uh, yeah. Say, say anything about like how much money you may save on a lower bill, but to be able to have the information to change your strategy. Yeah. Everyday tactics, whatever, but to, sh- to make those shifts is, and, uh, is and get the buy-in from that. Like we're all on the same team. Yeah, we're all in the gray, gray team, gray capital, gray res yeah. versus you work for like you work at the property that we own, but you are not our employee. You mm-hmm. are an agent for the property management company that we hired. Yeah. You're going to be wearing their shirts. You know, I maybe think the that there have been, been a couple of times, I think, you know, this is, may have been my own <laughs> uh, outside looking in where it seems like, oh, we were the low man on the top, but we were lower priority on a property management company because, yeah. you know, we were the, you know, we were the customer. It wasn't their asset specifically. And, um, and that's just the nature of, you know, incentives and having skin in the game or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it does, it did, I, I did feel slighted a couple of times. <laughs> why can't we get some love? And yeah, right. why can't you get back to me? Yeah. Yeah. And who do I have to talk to to get back versus like, yeah. I'm going to walk over to their desk and be like, wait, what's, what's up? Yeah. What's happening? Or I'm going to just drive there and not be like, we didn't know you were coming. And it's like, well, yeah, you you want to don't want that adversarial relationship for sure. Yep. Never, 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 never. Mm-hmm. Man, um, okay. Cover the economy. We've covered the economy. We've talked about apartments, but there's a couple more reports that I know we want to touch on today. We've got one from Apartment List and Freddie Mac. Before we get into those, just yep. as a quick reminder, um, we got a newsletter that comes out twice a week, big one on Thursday, short one on Wednesday, all these reports and more. It has been known to be the most effective newsletter in the multifamily industry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really a, uh, for insiders, but everybody reads it. Um, greatcapitalllc.com slash newsletter. And then while you're, while you're there, hop on the Great Capital um, Investment Portal if you're a credit investor. Get ready for our next deal that may be coming up when we find the right one. But you got to get on the list because it's going to oversubscribe mm-hmm. really quickly. So Matt, where do you want to go? Apartment list or Freddie Mac? So I think we actually did cover up a lot. Uh, We've already covered it. The, the, the Freddie Mac a- uh, aspects. Um, just yeah. wanted to touch on the apartment list, but Freddie Mac, the it, it jived with the idea of, of kind of higher for longer. There is signs of strength and it supports the idea of continued housing, uh, continued housing growth. So that's that in a nutshell. I get to put that in the show notes. We did cover we did cover it briefly. Yeah, there's key observations. Briefly, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for the for the uh, apartment list, what I think this is a really interesting development that could be a potential kind of uh, paradigm shift for uh, for rents in in downtowns and in the suburbs. Um, we it's hard not to have a real estate focused podcast in any way and not touch on um, office, and that may be part of the reason why urban. Uh, multifamily rents are growing much slower than suburban uh, rents. And the gap has only expanded since the pandemic. 
So yeah. could be remote work, could be demographic shifts where people uh, where uh, millennials are getting families and they want to you know live in a house instead of an apartment. Um, probably both, uh, but it is getting wider and, and to the tune of uh, about eight percent. The gap is now at eight percent, um, where it, it used to be. You know, they, their starting point was May of twenty twenty, which was zero, um, and it has since separated um, yeah. that much. It's. Um... Not shocking, yeah. Um, but it is really surprising to see that that it's continued to um, the spread has continued to widen. Man. Yeah, um, and, and in a sense, it makes sense because I mean, like, yeah, there's Gen Zs that are graduating college or moving downtown, but there's mm -hmm. more millennials that are, in a sense, graduating from their downtown apartments, moving to the suburbs. Yeah, getting married, getting a dog or two, maybe having some kids, wanting more space. Um, downtown seemed to be doing relatively well. Um, but I mean, still the, the demand for the suburb, we've talked about many old times on this show, man, mm. the suburbs have more to offer than they have in previous generations yeah. also. And so you can see why that demand. Yeah. Makes, um, and that's sense. why I wonder, you know, these are apartments. So it may, it may not be like people that want to live in a house and have kids in a yard. Cause these are, these are apartment rent that we're, we're talking about, but, but the general people, value of the land. People, you know, see the cities, um, you know, as again, like the way they viewed them in the, you know, eighties and nineties and, yeah. you know, even in the fifties is just like, that's just kind of the old and the suburbs are the new, everything's new out in the suburbs, everything's yeah. old downtown. And there's certainly an aesthetic. Um, and qualities um, to downtowns that are very different from suburbs. I can, but some people like yeah. it, it, it's 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 not bad. It's not not it's not good. It's not bad. It's just different choices. It's like newer. The roads are a little bit better, and yeah. all the real estate's newer. And, and you, I don't schools think are that, better often. Yeah, yeah. The school school situation for sure. I mean, that's a major, yeah. major, major. Drive. And and I and. Uh, it may be different in other places than Indianapolis, but one thing that is happening in Indianapolis is is these suburbs are becoming more denser, like in kind of mini cities. Yeah. And I wonder how Indianapolis many... downtown recovery is actually one of the weaker yeah. in the nation. But if you look up to places like Carmel or Fishers or Zionsville or even like Whitestown or something, um, yeah, Westfield, Whitestown, all that. There are there are these places, in, and we'll just use Carmel as a uh, as an example. Um, there are, uh, the residents there, you know, they're fighting against the, the apartments. There is a large city center essentially in downtown Carmel where there's a lot of dense apartments and, um, and they're, they're going up there and it may not be technically downtown in the city, but they are certainly trying to kind of cultivate that, uh, that feel. Uh, of, of, you know, you've got your uh, office buildings, you, you have uh, retail options. Yeah. Um, and in Carmel, you have uh, statues of, of people that are strangely unsettling. But that's yeah, it can get a little weird, but um, they have done an incredible job in, in developing and in the growth and managing the growth of um, Carmel itself. I mean, it's, it's really, um, I, I, I think, impressive. I mean, it's obviously it's not always for everybody. Um, but it, it is definitely a little city and, um, it's, it, it's nice up there. It's not, it's not cheap by any means. Yeah. So, um, um so it could be, again, I, I'm not counting out, um, the kind of the look for the, you look for the yards and, and the kind of ancillary effects of greater, of greater interest in single family homes would, would seem to carry over into the apartment market always has really. Um, but I think that remote, remote working is dragging people and, and making, you know, you live you live in Carmel a little bit a little bit 
uh, easier on, on traffic. If you can remote work, maybe there versus Sometimes. downtown. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think these ri- the rise of these suburbs as uh, as places in their own right where you don't really need to leave that much and then there's increasing amount of like entertainment options and stuff that normally happened downtown yeah is happening well, how many times yeah. you hear all the time people are like i know i know i said i'd never live in the suburbs but yeah. but you know we, we couldn't we looked we couldn't find anything and then you know westfield is the only place that you know we got a decent sized house a decent price it's new it's 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 large the schools are good like yeah right on the you know, 31 meridian street i mean I, I get it you hear all the time i'm sure you do too mm-hmm. um it, so it's it's you know just following the demographics it's not shocking yeah um another reminder make sure you're um, subscribed to the great capital youtube channel that way you can get all these videos just popped up another one's ready to go yep. hot off the presses sign up for the newsletter greatcapitalllc.com slash newsletter while you're on the website we got two reports one on rent growth one on loan maturities um both of them you're going to want to uh totally you're going to want to download both of them. They're both research briefs. They're not too long. They're both, what, two pages. Mm-hmm. Get through them, um, but it really kind of sums it up in a really great way. Um, so yeah, go on the website, greatcapitalllc.com. If you're like, hey, I'm an accredited investor. I, I want to participate in the next time these guys have a deal. We're choosy. It's going to be, an, it's going to, it's going to be an awesome, whatever the next deal is. Greatcap.net. Greycap.net. We got a new, um, you can go gr- the old one, greycapitalllc.com, but greycap.net is the new, cool, yeah. hip, retro URL. I want to start domain. I think we should start selling merch. Greycap.net. Little great caps. In like, it's like a blue and red and it's kind of like italicized. Yeah. The, the, just the .net part. That's right. <laughs> Do I put an image? Stylistically. Okay. I was thinking a gray colored. Okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I went off brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I would more just um, <laughs> 1999 yeah. internet. Um, that's funny. Let's all go back. You know, we're, we we still don't have the chat room. Yeah, great cap chat. That's true. We could have a we we could have a, chat a message room. board or, or Bolton. Yeah, kind of, kind of like Bolton. Bolton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll look at um, that. you know, many do not know my first business man mm. was uh, I, I um I like to you know. I had some first-hand experience in the te- the dot-com bubble, bubble, the run-up to it at mm-hmm. least. Um, starting in fourth grade, really got going in, f- in fifth grade, I had a little website that I operated. It's called navyplanes.com. Perfect. The go-to place for all information about your naval aviation. It's a little, it's, it's a little into planes and aircraft and yeah. fighter jets. It's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I was selling ads, banner ads, mostly uh, like dog food. But um, I had the chat room, I had the message board. It was great. Sweet. I made like dollars. I made, I made, I, passive I ended, income. I ended up, I made mean, <laughs> a lot of hours. <laughs> yeah. A lot of hours. I don't yeah, know how yeah. passive it was. <laughs> Once I set it up, set it up though. Um, yeah. and I ended up getting in trouble, um, because, uh, I went this in the days of AOL oh, yeah. and I, um, went through this and you can just like look anybody up and I, I searched for like, I was searching for keywords in mm-hmm. people's like usernames. And I don't know if I use plane or whatever, but I, I, I sent, I sent, I don't even know what the emails were. Yeah. Like I wasn't really, I wasn't selling. I don't know what I could have been marketing. Come like check out this website. Plane. It was like plane updates. It was like, I've got yeah. some new pictures of F-18. You need to come <laughs> check it out. What, whatever it was. I was, I was sending it to this guy that I got his email off for just AOL. I searched keywords and it was, he was like, his, his username, I'll remember this. I'm not trying to dox him or anything, but it was plane man. Just, I think it was like, that was it. Plane man's. 
he was not interested in aircraft. He was a, he was into woodworking and he liked his planers. Man. He was not happy. Of course, I wasn't like, <laughs> I wasn't BCCing this email list. Yeah, this yeah. was like everyone's email. And so he's replying always, please remove me from this damn list. And then it went one step further. Because yeah. I have like, I have my friend's parents' emails on oh, here yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're seeing these also. And the guy was like, I was in the Vietnam War. I was in the Army of Marines. Oh. And I hate naval aviators because like they were, because, you know, there was some fire mission that they missed and, you know, they killed some of his buddies and it's like, I hate naval. Like, so this guy started, you know, replying all to all these emails to like a bunch of random people, but then, you know, whoever's email addresses I had in fifth grade, which, I mean, this was, this was the late, this was in the Mm nineties. Um, so like people had email addresses about everybody, but like you were, everyone was, oh, yeah. everyone was reading the emails that they got. Oh yeah. It wasn't that much junk. And so I got, you know, pulled into the principal's office or whatever. My parents had to come in and like talk about what I'm like, they wanted, they wanted to talk about my internet usage and, and if I was being properly monitored on the internet. Mm. I think that. I did not get in my, my yeah. I, I did not get in trouble. I'm proud of you, kid. But, but they were, but, <laughs> that's what I would have said. But they were like, we need to remove him from your list. And I still, yeah. I said, Couple more emails I did. I did. I could. I figured I didn't know how to remove them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. Emails, but it was a lot of fun. No, it's funny. I got a little Great. taste of email marketing um, at a young age. But um, the website no longer exists. I, th- I think it is available, but you can go to um, I think archive.org. Oh yeah, I'll go to the way back. It doesn't go back far enough to see, like, but I think it captures the last version. Anyway, Matt, this is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you for wonderful job putting it together, producing, co-hosting. Catch us next week and every week on the Great Report. Come back for more multifamily, real estate. Maybe Navy planes. Maybe Navy planes. Who knows? <laughs>